Hello, hello everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world today. My name's Emily. I'm one of the English tutors and streamers here at Chatterbug for English. Um, I'm originally from Canada, uh, lived in the UK for a while, and currently I am traveling. So right now I am streaming to you live from Colombia. Good to have you here today. Let me know where you're from, how you're doing today. Come say hi in the chat. Awesome. Okay, so let's get started with our topic today. We are going to be talking about unicorn companies. So we're not talking about these mythical creatures like there's the, the pink and green unicorn in the picture there. Um, this is a term which was coined or created by a venture capitalist named Eileen Lee in 2013. So this is a term that comes from the world of venture capital, which is sometimes just called VC. Uh, this is going to be a startup that has a value of over $1 billion US dollars, and it's been in business for less than 10 years. Um, and they're quite rare and they require innovation. So as of this year, there's more than a thousand around the world. Um, and some examples of previous unicorns, so they've now gone public, um, would be things like Google, which has changed its name to Alphabet, uh, Facebook, which is now Meta, the parent company, um, Airbnb, Epic Games, and Robinhood. So these are all examples of past unicorns. So once the company has an IPO, an initial public offering, so to go onto the stock market, it is no longer considered a private company. It becomes a public company. Um, so it wouldn't fit under the unicorn category anymore. So with that definition in mind, what are some other unicorn companies that you know about? They could be ones from the past. So like we said, ones that have had their initial public offering already. So they are now on the stock market or maybe they are other companies that you use, could be software, um, could be some apps you have. What are some examples that you can think of? We'll go through a few today. Um, maybe a couple of um, failed example as well. So one that was a unicorn and kind of had a big crash. Um, and then we will go through kind of some of the lessons from these founders of unicorn companies. So Commodore is one from Ellie. So Ellie, tell me what uh, industry is that in? So maybe tell me the name of the company and then tell us what the industry is. So is it uh, fintech, so financial tech? Is it a health um, business? Is it artificial intelligence? What is the um, type of company? Cool. So who do we have here today? So we have Ellie, Andre, Bando, Mariam, Shio, and Hakim. Good to see you all. SpaceX, yeah, perfect. That's a great example. I will talk a little bit about SpaceX today. Okay, and Commodore is a computer company. Okay. What kind of, are they doing software or what sort of um, technology or computers are they doing? Ah, from the 90s, so it's a past unicorn company. And hello, Fatima, good to have you here. 
What other unicorns have you come across? Maybe in the news, maybe you know someone who works at one. Um, let's see. Notion. All right. I think maybe I've heard of that. Is that a payments app or tell me, Chinui, what is Notion? What kind of company? What do they do? What's their product or their service? So either a company is going to be selling something or they're going to be providing a service. Those are kind of the two options. IBM. So I'm not sure if they were a unicorn company before they've gone public. I'm not sure about that one. Um, Airbnb and Facebook. Yeah, excellent. So those, as well as Uber is another one. So those ones are all past unicorns. So they are now um, public companies. So traded on the stock market, you can buy shares of those companies. Anything else? Hmm. Let's see. I won't give any more examples right now since we'll go through a few. Um, but there are many. As I said, there's over a thousand kind of active unicorn companies still. So these are companies that are still held privately with private um, investment. Okay, so let's keep going. If you have some other ideas to share, please add it into the chat. And if at any time you have a question about vocabulary, um, there might be quite a bit of new vocabulary in the stream today. Feel free to ask me in the chat too. Um, okay, so is Amazon a unicorn company? You know, this big beast company. Well, we're only talking about privately held startups here. So before it's on the stock market. And so Amazon actually went public or it was offered on the stock market back in 1997. Um, at the time they raised $54 million and this gave them a valuation or a market cap, market capitalization um, of 438 million. So this is below the 1 billion threshold. So it was actually never considered a unicorn company. Um, okay, so Hakeem's asking, yeah, can you clarify unicorn company? So usually um, this is gonna be a company which has 1 billion valuation or more. It's gonna be privately held, so it's not on the stock market. Um, and usually we're talking about companies which are less than 10 years old as well. So they're kind of still in the startup or scale up phase um, as opposed to a more uh, mature company. This is kind of a new term. I think 2013 is when this term was coined. So you might see in like news articles and things, people talking about unicorn companies. Um, so yeah, Amazon, you might think this big beast would be a unicorn, um, but actually according to that definition, uh, it wouldn't be. Okay, so here we have the five biggest Unicorns. So these are companies that have not gone public. Um, which one do you think is the biggest? So the biggest in terms of the market valuation. So what is that company worth? Um, what do you think it would be? Would it be SpaceX? So someone mentioned that before. That's Elon Musk's company. Was Would it be Shein, which is a, a Chinese fast fashion retailer? Um yeah, AliExpress, Hakim, exactly. I believe that's still privately held. So that could be an example, but it's not one of the top five. Um, 
is it Stripe, which is a payments platform. So you often see Stripe being used um, like for kind of smaller retailers. So when you go to a market and you're buying things and they let you use your card, I often see that it's powered by Stripe um, or a lot of online marketplaces too. When you're buying directly from retailers, often they are using Stripe, which is a fintech, a payments processing application. Um, is it ByteDance? So ByteDance is <clears throat> a company out of China as well. They are the ones who own TikTok. And finally, Canva. So Canva is um, was developed by an Australian and it is a design application. Let's see here. Okay, so which one do you think is the biggest? Okay, so most of you are saying SpaceX, which is an absolute beast company. However, it is number two on our list. Number one on our list is ByteDance. So I actually didn't know that this was the name of the parent company for TikTok, but they have a $140 billion valuation and it is a privately held company. Um, so they are headquartered in Beijing in China, and they kind of say that they're in the artificial intelligence industry. Um, so they developed TikTok. There's another Chinese specific social networking app, which is similar called Douyin. They have a news platform called Tuqiao, and they have almost 2 billion monthly active users. So that's a lot of users um, clearly to be showing uh, advertising and things like that to them. So they are making a lot of money off of these active users. There have been some concerns, though. Maybe you've seen in the news um, some countries were talking about banning TikTok because there were concerns about surveillance and privacy. There was some allegations made against TikTok and against ByteDance that they were working with the Chinese Communist Party mm -hmm. to censor or to restrict content. Um, and so there's been, if you if you Google this, you'll find several articles about um, countries, I think such as the US, talking about whether they should ban TikTok. Um, let's see here. I think there was an article in March 2021 by the FT, the Financial Times, that said ByteDance was part of a group of Chinese companies that was using technology to try to get around Apple's privacy policies. Um, so interesting, interesting. Um, <clears throat> go ahead and have a Google of that if you want to learn more. Um, but I think we have more to come from this largest unicorn on our list. In um, just last year, they acquired a company which kind of creates like a virtual reality um, world. And so maybe they're going to start moving into that space as well. So let's see what else could come from Bite dance. Um, <clears throat> so Andre says, is Sophia Robot also from ByteDance? I'm not sure. Um, to be honest, before I was looking up this topic, I hadn't heard the name ByteDance before. I didn't realize that was the parent company for TikTok. So potentially, you know, it is a large company. Maybe um, they do have robots. They call themselves artificial intelligence. So <clears throat> absolutely, I assume that could include robots. 
Okay. And so number two on that list um, that many, most of you thought was the top of the list is SpaceX. So their valuation is at 100 billion. So versus the 140 billion um, for ByteDance. Of course, the famous Elon Musk, the entrepreneur who started PayPal and sold it, made a lot of money. He decided to um, go to space. Uh, one article I read said, you know, he's launching rockets just because he kind of decided to, um, you know, just because he can. But uh, yeah, he has no formal training, you know, in rocket science. Um, but he's obviously a very intelligent entrepreneur. He has an eye for new markets. Um, and then another article I read said that, you know, he has this goal of making humans, humans multi-planetary. So it's that we will one day live on multiple planets. Um, and he was the first private company to launch a payload, which could mean like a rocket or a satellite, something into space, um, into orbit in 2010. So more than 10 years ago. And the rockets that they make for SpaceX are 80% um, made in their own factory. So they really reduce the need to outsource to other companies. And that allows them to have uh, a much lower cost base. So they're competing with other companies to say, um, or NASA even, you know, we can launch satellites for about a third of the cost is what they say. And their whole mission control is kind of an industrial site just out of California. Okay. Good to see you too, Diana. Nice to have you here. Yes. And Hakeem said, of course, I think this was just in the news a couple days ago. He has now purchased um, Twitter. It was a $44 billion purchase. I think he said that he's not actually worried about making money with this. He sees it as sort of like a creating a place for humanity to come and discuss different topics. He declared when he purchased this that the bird is now freed and he updated his personal profile to chief twit. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what changes come to Twitter. I think he's already fired many leading staff. Um, so let's see what his plans are. But yeah, $44 billion purchase. And here's a quote for him kind of talking about how he works as an entrepreneur. So he says, I think it's very important to have a feedback loop where you're constantly thinking about what you've done and how you could be doing it better. So he has what you could call um, like a growth mindset. So people tend to have a fixed or a growth mindset. He clearly thinks that there's always room to do things better. So I would say he is an example of an entrepreneur with that growth mindset. Um, yeah, and so Hakeem says he's advocating free speech. We'll wait and see. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, you know. Um, how free is free speech? Um, is it really going to have zero restrictions on what people are saying? Will that have issues for things like hate speech and other negative impacts? I don't know. Let's see. Let me know in the chat if you guys have any thoughts about um, Elon Musk as a person. I think he's a very divisive character. So people either love him or they hate him. They might think he's intelligent, but don't like him as a person. What do you think about him? Um, and what do you think about his acquisition of Twitter? Do you think it's a good thing? 
bad, you don't care, <laughs> um, come let me know in the chat. Another one on that list, which I thought was pretty surprising because it seems like kind of a basic concept, you know, an online design and publishing tool. There's many different programs out there. I mean, you have the whole Adobe suite, um, but Canva made it really, really easy for a non-designer person to go on and create beautiful designs, documents. I've used it myself to create um, some little like logos and things really easily. Um, I have no background in design whatsoever, but it gives you this big library. Um, so you have backgrounds, uh, templates, images, fonts, stickers, um, and it's become kind of a go-to for many creators, marketers. So people who are um, like influencers in social media would use this quite a bit to be creating their posts, their reels, maybe to be doing pitch documents. Um, it's a super popular program. It has users in more than 190 countries um, and it's quite large now, 2,500 employees. So they raised $200 million last year, giving them a $40 billion valuation, which I think is pretty incredible for, um, yeah, for something like this. And yeah, some people saying, yeah, Canva's awesome. It's, yeah, I think it's a great tool. I've used it, I've used it a few times. They do have like the free version or you can get a trial. Um, I think a lot of teams would use it too. You can get like a team membership, but I think it's a pretty cool tool if you need to do anything to do with design. Okay, and so people talking about um, Elon for our previous topic. So Eli says, don't really like that he's owning the Twitter platform. Armin thinks Twitter will grow and implement great ideas. Yeah, let's see. Um, Hakeem suggests if he sticks to claims about freedom and if expression, it's a good thing. But like, how sure are we about what his intentions are? Yeah, what are his claims and intentions? And certainly he is an amazing business person. I think we all can agree with that, that he's a very impressive entrepreneur. But you know, it's not all successful. So I wanted to talk about one example of a kind of rise and fall situation. Um, I'm guessing lots of you know about WeWork. I think they made their way around the world. If it wasn't in your country specifically, I guess maybe you've heard about it in the news or something. Um, so this was a company which sort of pioneered the co-working boom. It's not to say that they were the first ones doing co-working. I mean, there's a company called Regis, which is around the world as well. So co-working are these spaces where people who might have, they might be working on their own, maybe there's a small team, um, and they don't need their own office space. So what they do is they purchase a membership for WeWork, and then they would be able to use any of the locations around the world. And WeWork's selling point wasn't really the shared office space because that already existed. It was more about creating this really cool kind of membership culture. So they did great design. Um, they hosted events. They, um, they would have like beer on tap in the office space. So they were making it a really cool space for people who were entrepreneurs to come together 
and meet each other as well. So, you know, Regis was doing this, but it was much more like very gray, um, maybe more boring, you know, didn't have the design element or the sort of exciting culture. So we work with signing long-term leases on office space. So they would sign a lease to take a whole building, let's say, or a few floors. And then they basically would use this large lease and sublet. So the smaller memberships or people taking a single um, meeting room, maybe as their space, were sublets. So of course, when the economy is doing great, um, when this is new and trendy, all is well. Um, at the peak, it was worth $47 billion. And so this would be considered a unicorn um, at the time. But when it came time to do their IPO and people were looking further into the numbers, they realized that they weren't really making money despite all of these private investors putting in tons and tons of money. Um, it was, you know, there was a lot of risk associated with these very short-term monthly sublets that they had from the membership. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, they were spending tons of money to expand really, really quickly. Um, and it also had a lot of risk for the owners of the real estate. So these owners were letting out spaces to WeWork on these long leases. However, they had all sorts of terms in their contract that said they could basically walk away. Um, so a lot, a lot of risk involved, a valuation that didn't make sense, and ultimately it failed. So I think if you're interested in learning more about this one, this rise and fall, I think there's a documentary that was done. I think it's on Hulu or you can probably find it other places on the internet. Um, so that's all about WeWork. And the founder, Adam Newman, he's this kind of larger than life character, um, you know, quite the sort of influencer type. So he was, uh, he was all about, you know, saying we're creating this wonderful culture. It's amazing. Um, but he had so many ideas at the same time. So he had We Work. He was starting to look at We Live, We School, I think. So We or We Learn, it was called. And he was growing so fast um, and kind of saw himself as just this, you know, leader without any problems at all. Um also, I read about him that he was probably over-delegating responsibility. So he just thought of himself as kind of the image and he was ignoring all of the other jobs that needed to be done. So ultimately, you know, a very inspiring person, charismatic, but ultimately um, he kind of built up this company that was really didn't have much to it. Um, but he did have an interesting quote here I would like to share. So. He said, when I met my wife, I was focused on making money, but failing miserably. She taught me that financing success can never be the goal, only a byproduct of living with purpose. This was a game changer for me. And so I think this kind of explains a bit of his mentality and how he was very goals driven and values driven. And he tried to put this into his company, which was great, but it um, the value just inflated beyond any sort of reality. So let me know if you know anything about him. Um, maybe you read an article about it. Maybe you've, have you been to a WeWork space before? What did you think about it? 
Um, I've been to a couple just as a visitor and they are really cool spaces. Um, but of course, yeah, this, this all kind of broke down in 2019, just before the pandemic. And I think probably the pandemic just hurt them even more. Everyone was working from home suddenly if they had, you know, desk jobs. So yeah, let's see where they go from here. I mean, it's, they are still around, but maybe they're going to build back up on a more realistic stand. Mm -hmm. And Hakeem asked, never heard about him. Yes, so I think he's Israeli-American. So I think he was born in Israel, but moved to the States, pretty sure. Adam Newman. And it's true, Salvador, what you say, Canva's cool, but it's also taking away job opportunities for graphic designers. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of the struggle with technology. It creates jobs, but it can also take away jobs. I mean, just think about the technology of uh, like subway trains, you know, they used to always have drivers across the world. Sometimes they still do in some cities, but many of them now are driverless, you know, so that's some jobs that have been lost there. Um, yeah, I guess it's kind of part of technology. It's going to sometimes take away some jobs, but create others. I suppose the graphic designers could still have jobs in helping to create content, all those templates and icons and things, but I agree it's probably hurt a lot of graphic designers who now have to think about um, what can their offer be. Cool. Yeah. And so Raf has seen the documentary. Yeah. So I think if you want to learn more, go check out that documentary. It's a interesting story. Okay. So which industry do you think is the one that has the most unicorn companies? So these companies that have a billion valuation privately held, there's over a thousand of them around the world. Do you think it's artificial intelligence, health, e-commerce and direct to consumer. So selling products directly to the consumer, internet software and services or FinTech. So financial tech, which of those five, these are the top five, by the way, um, in general, but which one do you think is number one? Hmm. Give you guys a moment. Yeah, Adam Newman from Israel, yes. I'm not sure when he moved to the US, but. Um, yeah. Okay. So no one's got the right answer just yet. I'll give maybe another moment to see if someone gets it. Um, yeah, absolutely. The pandemic was a disaster for so many people around the globe, totally. And it's going to, I think, you know, it's not quite over yet. Um, I think there's still a lot of maybe government programs that are helping to keep things going, but probably we have a lot of pain to come with recession and having to figure out how we pay back all this lost time, lost opportunities. Some people would have lost maybe their businesses, their whole life savings due to this. Um, 
So yeah, very difficult time. Okay, and no one's got it yet, but I will tell you the answer. So the industry with the most number of unicorn companies is fintech, so financial tech. Um, and the majority of unicorn companies also have technology um, to do with them in some way. They're not all technology companies, but, you know, for, for the vast majority they are. So for fintech, it makes up 242 of the current unicorn companies, more than 20%. Um, and there's more than 30,000 startups in this space. So this is things like Monzo and Revolut, which are online banks. Stripe, which we already talked about, which is that payments infrastructure. Um, TransferWise, which is excellent to use uh, for moving currency to different countries. You save a lot of money compared to using a normal bank. So if you haven't used TransferWise, I use it myself. This is not an ad, but I just recommend it rather than using a normal bank. And it's a huge industry. It's worth $180 billion. So fintech, you know, banks for so long were these really kind of old school, slow moving institutions and technology is forcing them to innovate. Um, you're also having people who aren't from traditional finance backgrounds coming into the banking space. So you're getting people who are, you know, tech guys, really. Um, they're, they're not necessarily bankers, but they know how to write the algorithms. They know how to create the applications. <clears throat> and so, yeah, fintech is an area which is really disrupting those old banks. Now, some of those banks have adapted, and so they are hiring you know, huge tech teams, they're creating their own apps, which are good, um, maybe creating, you know, different products related to technology. So it's also forcing those old banks to innovate and keep up with the times. Yeah, so Hakeem says, yeah, also using TransferWise. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. You can hold, you can open currency accounts in like more than 20 currencies, I think. Um, transfer between, you get really good rates when you're taking out money abroad. So I use that one. I also use Monzo, which is the online bank. I think it's a UK-based bank. Maybe you can get it in other places in Europe. Not sure, but I'm sure there's equivalents in your countries. So what about you? Would you ever want to use this online-only bank without any physical presence? So those banks that I mentioned, like Monzo and Revolut, um, there's some other ones in the States um, and in Europe. So I use both. I have kind of the more traditional bank, um, but actually when I'm traveling, I'm using those online banks a lot more because they give better rates and I find it more convenient. The apps work really well. Or do you prefer in-person banking? So yeah, maybe there's an element of like having, building up trust or like wanting to actually go see a physical person sometimes for banking. How would you feel if it was all online? There's a mix of answers. Yeah, I think we're only going to see more and more of these come. 
I think it depends on financial regulations for the different countries uh, for, you know, what kind of banks are allowed to open and what services they offer. Um, but certainly, yeah, like the UK has several of these. So I think it's quite an open financial system as far as um, starting new banks goes. I'm not sure about other countries. Let me know in the chat if your country has some other online banks too. Cool. All right, so back to talking about unicorns. What percentage of startups do you think become or evolve into a unicorn? From 0.1 to 5% I've included here. So every startup, of course, starts with their dream. They set their business plan. You know, there's the founders, maybe the CEO and the CTO, the chief technology officer, um, sit down, make a plan, creating an app. And they think, you know, we're going to we're gonna become billionaires. <laughs> um, they get their first investment. They're just really focused on success. How many of them do you think succeed and evolve into a unicorn? Yeah, and so, yeah, Hakeem says for the virtual banks, it seems they're growing rapidly everywhere, totally. Yeah, I keep seeing new kind of brands and ads come up. So obviously the ads would be geared towards which country I'm in or which country I'm from. But I imagine around the world, more and more of these um, will be popping up or they'll also be spreading. So I think like Monzo and Revolut, they are on the list of unicorn companies too. Maybe they're going to try to uh, start in other markets. Yeah, so Armin, soon the physical bank will no longer work. Banking should be done through the internet as a self-service. Yeah. I guess there might be certain instances like for some commercial banking. So, you know, talking about much larger sums of money where people might want to go in physically, but a lot of it you know, through video chat, through ways of verification, you should be able to do quite a bit, I think, online. Yeah, I guess there's going to be a bunch of a bunch of unused banks then across across countries. So I wonder what they'll change into. Um, that's something that happens too, right? With technology, we start to have these real estate spaces that just open up. And what are they used for? We used to all... Uh, rent movies and video games from a physical store. So all of those had to change. Um, gas stations, you know, eventually a lot of them are going to become electric. So I guess they could just convert them to fast charging points, um, but they're probably going to have a lot of extra space. So yeah, as our kind of need for physical space changes, what goes in its place? Or do we just have too much you know, physical spaces, retail and things like that built up and we need to demolish some of it. Okay, and so a mix of answers here, but the answer is 1%, 1%. So a bit better than what you guys thought. You Most people thought 0.1%, um, but of course still one in a hundred is not a lot. Um, so of those thousands and thousands and thousands of startups, they're all chasing this goal. 
it might be too that they're a unicorn at one point and they could fall off the list. So right now there are about a thousand. So what are some of the common traits that you find in these unicorn companies? We already talked about kind of the checklist of things that would make it considered um, according to this term. There's five, five common traits. So it's recent creation. So it's probably going to be exploiting a small or unknown market niche. Um, also, the average age of employees tends to be quite young, um, between 30 and 40 years old. There's some sort of element of innovation. So as I said, technology is really a big part of these uh, unicorn companies, finding ways to make operations and communication more efficient. Um, and they might often use social media to gain recognition. Scalability, so to scale up um, means to grow quickly. Um, so they're looking at ways to boost their returns, to grow while keeping the cost base low. So trying to increase the income while the costs, you know, the costs could be higher than the income here, but the goal is to have the income higher and maybe keep the costs where you get this profit gap. That's what they're trying to do. Um, financing, so they're trying to attract investors um, and maintain private equity or private financing without being publicly listed. However, that might be the end goal. And usually their, their strategy would be, or their business model would be targeting end consumers um, with some sort of disruption, some disruptive alternative that meets their personal needs. So customer satisfaction is a big part of success for many, not for all. And um, so far I've been using startup and scale up. They're, they're kind of the same thing, they can be. However, there's some distinction so in the purest sense, people usually are talking about a startup, um, you know, being in an earlier stage. Um, so in terms of life cycle, the startup might be, you know, kind of at its birth or very early stage, whereas a scale up is more mature, established, it's become profitable. So their expenses are below their income, not the other way around. Um, and for it to have a scale-up level of growth, they should be doing 20% annually, at least. Um, business model, let's see here. Their main goal is to grow now, so they've already kind of established themselves as a scale-up. It's all about growth, so opening more, new, more locations, getting more customers, whatever it is, depending on their product or service. Um, financing. So a startup might have to work off of kind of business angels, you could call them. So people who are, you know, really helping at a small scale, whereas scale ups will start to get investment from large VC firms, private investors, so much larger sums of money. And then human talent, human talent. Um, so at the beginning of startup, it could be only two or three people. I mean, it could even be one person. So that's really just people generally getting started. Once it's scaling up, you're going to need a lot more specialists um, to help the growth come along. So those are a few of the differences. But I think people talk about startups when, they're, when they are in the scale-up stage. So it's, yeah, it's just two different distinctions that you might hear. 
And so what do you think makes a successful startup? There's no right answer here. It's just, uh, what do you think? So do you think it's the founders, the investors? Is it the company culture? Um, is it having a niche market? So having a specific focus or is it going into a large market? So something you can exploit. Um, what do you think? No correct answer. Um, so, I mean, the founders, I guess, they're the ones with the initial idea. And if they are very charismatic, they're able to sell the idea. Maybe they can bring on great team members. They can bring on great investors. Um, maybe there's the great idea, but until they have the investors who help give them the capital to scale up, um, it didn't really have any potential. So once the investors get involved, especially if they're big name investors, maybe that brings more and more investment. So maybe that helps success. Is it the company culture? So it's somewhere that people kind of aspire to. It's really values driven. Is it a niche market? So not many other people are doing anything in that space. And so they find a really focused, captive um, audience and market or a large market where you can go and get a piece of that big pie. Okay. And so, as I said, no right answer, but lots of people saying going after a large market. All right, so I've found a few lessons from some different founders here to share. So the first one is identify a problem and solve it. So, um, startups often seek to solve a kind of personal problem or issue. So the starter, the uh, founders of Airbnb, so I think his name's Chesky, um, along with his friend, co-founder, they changed the loft in their apartment into a rental space to make some extra money. And then once they had done this, they created a website um, to get people to come and rent it. And then it just grew and grew and grew from there. So one way to reflect if you want to come up with an idea is what is a problem that you're experiencing in your own life that there is no marketplace for, there's no product or service, or if there is, it's not that great. Um, it doesn't really do the job. So kind of reflecting on yourself or people around you about these personal problems. Next, understand the new markets problem before expanding. Um, so it's not just about having a good idea, but executing it well. So an example here is that, um, you know, Uber really changed the way that people were commuting and traveling around, but they didn't do great in places um, like in Southeast Asia. The winner there has been Singapore's Grab, which doesn't just offer um, ride sharing services or moto or delivery. They also introduced an e-payments platform. Um, so people in parts of the world where they don't have access to banking are now able to use their Grab account um, and kind of load it up with funds and use it as sort of a pseudo bank. Um, so they were able to see, you know, a way to gain customers beyond just being a ride sharing app that Uber was. Um, but another lesson from Uber is that, you know, the market is very large and can, can accommodate multiple startups. So an example with Uber in the US is also Lyft. So both are very successful um, and both are able to operate in that market together. Um, 
in many of the countries I've been to recently. So I've been in Latin America. They have another one which is called InDriver. And the interesting thing about how InDriver works is that it's sort of a bidding system. So you put your route and then you put what amount you're willing to pay. Um, and then drivers will maybe bid or they will say, you know, not that, but how about this price? And so it's a bit of like a back and forth until you agree on a price rather than Uber, which sets the price. And yeah, Hakeem Bolt as well in the UK. Yeah, Bolt is a really cheap alternative to Uber. So I remember sometimes taking Bolt rather than Uber and it was like half the price. Um, so I don't know how they were doing that, but uh, I guess it's not very good for the drivers. But yeah, Bolt is another example. And so this is kind of Airbnb was more a service where this is a product. So create what you would want to use as well. So um, the couple who created House, they were doing some home remodeling and they thought it would be handy to have a program to help them do that. So they created this program. And the way that they got started was with bootstrapping. So bootstrapping is a great vocab term for this whole area of um, innovation. It's a term used to describe the process of using, you know, your existing resources only to get something going. So using personal savings, your personal computer, maybe garage space. So like, I think Amazon and Microsoft started in a garage. So that would be bootstrapping. And this is how you start and grow until you find the right mentors. And maybe those mentors become investors or they introduce you to investors. And that allows you to grow and grow and grow. So that's an example of creating a product that you would like to use as well. So we've gone through a lot of ideas today. Um, unicorn companies talking about some past, present failures, um, some of the common traits, some lessons from founders. What startup ideas do you like? So maybe it's something you've come across recently that you think sounds like a cool idea. Maybe it just needs more investment to get going. Um, maybe it's something that you've just thought about that you think would be awesome if someone could, could uh, get it going as well. What startup ideas do you like? I think anything that helps kind of processes become more efficient is wonderful. I think... Um, you know, the process, for example, going through and doing contracts with a lawyer right now is very costly, very time consuming. Um, and we do have technology like through the blockchain where we would be able to do this in a more efficient manner. So I think maybe some startups which could help to make um, contract contracts much more efficient um, would be great. You kind of just like reducing unnecessary time, paper. <laughs> pain. Yeah, any sort of delivery apps are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the UK in the last few years, um, they've started, there's been a ton of startups, actually, a ton, a ton that are doing 10 minute grocery delivery. And so I think they have kind of like small warehouses in different parts of the city. And the availability of food will depend on what's there. And I think they charge a bit more than the grocery store but you get it delivered to your house in 10 minutes. Um, 
which is pretty crazy. So like I could have been cooking something, realized I forgot something, put it in this app and it will be at my front door in 10 minutes. So a lot of these like fast delivery services. There's like Amazon Now, I think was also in London. I think it was called um, Prime Now maybe. And that would also be very fast delivery. Um, zero waste products. Yeah, excellent. So anything to do with helping um, us be more environmentally friendly. Yeah, maybe a startup that, yeah, as you said, creates some products, creates awareness about the issue. Other fintech ideas. Yeah, so 7A15, what kind of financial startup do you think would be helpful for your life? What else could be good? Hmm. That's, that's pretty good. Um, I've been using lots of apps recently that help um, with traveling. So finding places to stay and go. There's a lot of them out there, but I guess maybe there's some creative ways that people could change what the offer is. There's already, you know, TripAdvisor and um, some of those guys, but maybe there's a new take on helping people travel better. Right. Well, I guess we can all think about our genius unicorn startup ideas that we may start at some point. Um, as always, if you have other ideas for topics that interest you, uh, vocabulary that you want to learn, um, very happy to take ideas. Otherwise, I hope you enjoyed learning about unicorn companies today, the founders, the companies. And that's it. All right. Cool. I will see you all again soon. Take care.